The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. Report 10, Part 2. Notre Dame. Hello, dear listeners. Just a reminder, this is part two of our Hunchback episode, which contains dread possibilities and parting thoughts. Uh, We optimistically recorded this whole thing to be one episode, so this one won't make a whole lot of sense without what came before. Uh, We're going to be referring back to things we mentioned in part one, so please make sure you go check that out first. Also, a logistical note, we record these after our kids go to sleep, as any of you who have ever met a four-year-old can appreciate. And during parting thoughts, said four-year-old fell out of bed. Um, he's fine, it happens, but I had to go up and give him mommy cuddles, and Tom and Chris were deep in the zone and kept recording for a few minutes. Please nobody be outraged on my behalf. I wanted Tom and Chris to keep striking while the iron was hot. They had some really fantastic insights that they might have forgotten if they'd waited for me. And the only reason the mom was on cuddle duty while the dad podcasted instead of the other way around was, as you're going to hear, he fell out of bed while Tom was mid-sentence. So the upshot of all this is that at one point during Parting Thoughts, uh, you're going to hear a small child crying, and then I'm going to disappear for a few minutes. That's what's going on there. So we left off with Tom asking me, what do you do with it? Which means that it is time to hear what Dee has to say about our dread possibilities. Dread Possibilities Frollo was more than happy to give me an overview of how well he had handled the city in the king's absence. Although it was an interview within the Palace of Justice rather than a tour of the city, as he disliked sullying himself by going out amongst the rabble. I confess that I had difficulty focusing on his words. There was some magical effect in place on the Palace of Justice, although I was unable to discern exactly what it was through my eldritch sight. The walls seemed to close in around me like a coffin, and it took all my will simply to breathe. In my discomfort, I may have made some impolitic remarks to Frollo as he compared the travelers to Vermin, but he took them with surprising equanimity. In retrospect, I should have realized this was a warning sign. The heat from the fireplace in particular was stifling, and I found myself glowering at the hearth and wishing I could extinguish it on the spot. As I watched, the flames briefly formed the shape of a voluptuous woman writhing in a seductive dance. Then they flickered, and I saw myself, but not myself. This flame version of me had a face that was twisted in a mask of pure rage and disgust, as though the mad passions that gripped the city, and my own barely repressed ire toward the hypocrite who sat across from me, had taken her over entirely. I looked back to Frollo with a start, and found him smirking at me with a predatory cast to his eyes. He remarked that he had suspected from the start that my research into the city had put me in touch with the Court of Miracles, and upon seeing my reaction to the walls of the Palace of Justice, he knew his suspicions were correct. I would have a longer stay at the palace, but it would be he who asked the questions. Fortunately, I had not told Frollo that I possessed any magical talent, and he was caught off guard when I cast invisibility. When the guards appeared, doubtless prepared to drag me away when Frollo finished his speech, I was able to take advantage of the confusion and slip away. I doubt that many of Frollo's other guests were so fortunate. I want adventure in the great wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. Other than the miss scoop you up and drop you off because the GM has a really appropriate Quasimodo mini he wants to use. (laughs) Why would the PCs choose to come to Cite de Notre Dame? And we've got a couple of options, and they're pretty much all related to kind of our iconic locations, our sort of three iconic locations. 
a big reason that your PCs may be coming would be related to the cathedral. That you know, We've been talking a lot about what if your PCs are worshippers of Ezra. The cathedral, it could be a great site of pilgrimage. They might be coming because they are worshippers and they're, they want to make a pilgrimage there. You drop on them that there's a, uh, you know, Ezra equivalent of a plenary indulgence to uh-huh, anybody yeah. who goes to the cathedral in this jubilee year. So they're, they're going to go and do that. It could be something with the, it's just known that the Archdeacon is a very high-level cleric, mm-hmm. so you need, like, a greater restoration spell, and the cleric of Ezra is like, well, I can't do it, but I know a guy who can. Yeah, because it is this cathedral, it might have all kinds of useful relics and resources, you know, there it might have all kinds of books about, like, celestials or demons or all kinds of other things that you might need access to or the the MacGuffin that your PCs are looking for could be there. So there's all kinds of potential there. Or I'm going to read directly from the outline for this. The Archdeacon reaches out to you. Please stop this chucklehead. <laughs> <laughs> so all this is going on and your Ezra worshipping PCs are high level enough that the Archdeacon has heard of them and mm-hmm. is like... Guys, please, please. I need some outside contractors. Like, <laughs> I can't do anything about Volo, please, guys. Yeah, I can't do anything in the law, but you all have a reputation for making a lot of trouble. So mm-hmm. if you were to come here and something were to happen, well. <laughs> Alternatively, Ezra could send you a vision saying, please stop this chucklehead. Yes, yes. Especially if you're dealing with paladins or clerics. Mm. Or you could get a vision of something being vaguely wrong in City of Notre Dame. You don't quite know what it is. There are these vague omens and then you go there and eventually through your investigation, you find out that it's Frollo, which Chris was your idea. So mm. why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, this is based on a campaign that I ran where there was a fake paladin and the, the player characters didn't know this. And so the deity who was involved in that, it was St. Cuthbert. So with characteristic subtlety, mm-hmm. he sent them like a magical cudgel and it was just like, you're going to need to hit somebody with this. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, sort of like they had to kind of follow the clues to figure out like, why have we been chosen to do this? What is the problem that needs to be addressed? And then gradually came around to realizing that it was this person who was actually a bard feigning paladinhood and, and claiming St. Cuthbert. In a similar way, you could have Ezra give some kind of a message that there is corruption in this place and that the player characters need to go handle it. That way, you have a great situation with like a prophecy that you can play on, some like limited information that the player characters can work with, maybe even putting them into the position of like, we're coming into town, you know, we're the new sheriff in town, Hmm. and we're going to find the evil here, and we're going to root it out, that may lead them to think like, is it, do we need to find this court of miracles? Do we need to, you know, whatever this is, and eventually realizing that no, it is someone, you know, it is Frollo, it is this person who is claiming Ezra and is using that authority in a way that is destructive for the whole community. And that is ultimately going to, you know, as we'll talk about in plot, ultimately it's going to destroy this cathedral or, or at least sort of wreck it. Yeah, so I, I really like that one because it puts the player characters in the position of first sort of asking them what's wrong here, what's wrong with this picture, before revealing to them that it's the person who is supposedly the highest ranking agent of Ezra here. That's the problem. That's that's why Ezra brought you is because the person who's supposed to be representing Ezra here is corrupt. Yeah, I really like that because then that's a way that you can have the PCs kind of be in the Phoebus position. And, you know, Frollo yeah, yeah. can come and be giving them the speech. And clearly it's the Travelers. And so he's, he's telling the PCs all about how horrible the Travelers are. And if you frame it right so that it's not overtly racist from the get-go. Right. That if it's just kind of like, oh, no, it's, it's, it's the Court of Miracles. It's just this band of thieves. 
which some of them are. So, you know, that's a way that you could pull the PCs in, trick them for a bit, and then have them discover what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And the Travelers can also be the thing that gets you there, Mm -hmm. especially if you introduce them as this kind of NPC group in other domains. You have this idea of this nomadic culture that then they ask you for help. Or if you even have an affiliate NPC that the travelers reach out to them, and then they ask the PCs for help. And then they're coming in knowing this persecution is happening. Mm-hmm. And I like the reveal. I love the idea of they have to discover Frollo's wickedness. But if you just sort of want to cut to the chase, and we've all seen Hunchback, guys. We all, <laughs> shut the cat. we all know like what we're coming in to do here. Then that would be an easy way to just sort of come in, get down to business. Mm-hmm. And it might also be something related to the Court of Miracles, because we do have the idea there's a Thieves' Guild, and the Thieves' Guild operates there in classic D&D fashion in the catacombs. And that maybe if you do have, like, a rogue or someone with a criminal background, you kind of get hooked into the Court of Miracles through the Thieves' Guild. Mm -hmm. It's like you get hired to do some smuggling, you get hired to do a job, you get told that the thief who knows how to break into this fortress in another domain was in the Thieves' Guild in Cite Notre Dame, and then that gets you there. And fundamentally, I think there's kind of two hooks here. And one is the PCs come into this city to do normal PC nonsense (laughs) and discover the problem and discover Frollo's corruption. Mm -hmm. And the other is they hear about a problem and come in to address it. And maybe they know right away it's Frollo or maybe they kind of discover it's Frollo as they go on. And then, you know, we talked about if the Travelers are the Vistani, if you want to just say it's the Roma in the movie, let's go for our Roma analogs and... Stop stop beating around the bush here. Then there are a ton of hooks there, you know. Nana Mava sends you, there's a Taroka reading that shows all the danger, and you go, you owe them a favor, you owe them a sign a favor, so they're like, go save our people who are being persecuted over here. There, there are a lot of possible options if you're friends with, as maybe her cousin is Esmeralda, yeah, right. they have the same name, you know, who, who it's knows? It's a family name. Yeah, it's a family name. And re- real quick, the reason why we're not automatically going for the Travelers and the Vistani being the same thing, since it is the obvious analog, number one, there's a lot of baggage connected to the Vistani that mm-hmm. you might not necessarily want to be porting over here, that you, in your campaign there might be stuff going on with the Vistani that you don't necessarily want to be dealing with with Rolo. And also, if you're going with some of these kind of, like, going back to the older material, some of the more supernatural powers that the Vasani had there, then it raises the question of, well, why aren't they using that against Frollo? You know, why aren't they bringing down all these curses and evil eyes and this and that and the other thing? And having it not be the Vasani lets you have an answer to that question. If they're just kind of this different group that's related to the Vasani, but are not themselves a Vistani, it gives you a bit more freedom there. On the other hand, if you have them be the Vistani, then you do have the access to those plot hooks, the access to it being this thing that has resonance for your players, this thing that they're yeah, you know yeah. going to care about more. So your campaign, you figure out which one you want to do, which one is going to be a better hook, having it be the Vistani or not. Right. They are one of the iconic elements of Ravenloft. Mm-hmm. They are a major component of Curse of Strahd, so you mm-hmm. could even like very easily transition from Curse of Strahd to this domain, which isn't true of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also, as we mentioned, a lot of baggage, and we wanted to kind of give you an option baggage, free as much as we could. Mm-hmm. Even like with baggage for the Vistani, there is the racial baggage of the Vistani that they're, they have not always been sensitively depicted within Ravenloft, and that 
this would give you some freedom with the travelers. If you wanted to have them be like Irish travelers yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. then you could do like a completely different take on it. They could be elves. It could be right, that yeah. Frollo really hates elves. Or it could be like this sort of very polyracial, like cultural group that like it's a, a set mm-hmm. of beliefs and values that anyone of any ancestry can join. So you could have travelers that are... There are gnomes, there are tabaxi, there are dwarves, there are elves, there are whatever. And that even kind of then could bring in a little bit of sort of the racial xenophobia mm-hmm. element of Frollo hates these people because they're different with a little bit of taking the sting out of he hates them because they're this sort of multi-ethnic society, not mm-hmm. because they are this specific racial group that he wants to exterminate. And that's then variations of the Vistani where they've done that. That's kind of where we're taking this from. Mm-hmm. But once again, that's a way to present some of this material if you want to, that you don't have to deal with a lot of the baggage. Mm-hmm. If we're being 100% honest, if I were running this for my friends, I would probably use the Vistani. Same. Because I know where everybody is. Like, mm-hmm. I know where everybody's comfort zone is. I know that we, you know, have have done material. We've done Ravenloft with Vistani before, so I kind of know the baseline. I think it is thematically stronger, but it's also prickly. And we want to at least have our default option be something that's not quite so prickly. I'm just mm-hmm. laughing because if I came, I wouldn't have it be the Vistani because there's too much baggage with our game specifically. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of kind of leaving this sort of nebulous and then, you know, depending on the DM kind of figure out what's appropriate for the game, especially because representation-wise, it depends on where your focus is going to be, mm-hmm. and that is dependent upon the context of the campaign in general. Mm-hmm. Like, as you were saying, Rachel, that we've dealt with the Vistani before in the campaign that you're running, and so using them here would attach a bunch of other stuff that detracts from the story you'd be trying to tell with mm-hmm. this location. I will say, I think that another side benefit you get from using this blanket term of traveler is that it shows how flexible that designation is and the way that when you scapegoat a group, that designation suddenly starts to be very wide open to whoever disagrees with you. Mm. And so there is something in like, it's something if Frollo just like hates elves Mm -hmm. or just hates the Vistani, but it's something else if it's like these shiftless people who don't fit into our order system don't belong here. And sure, the Vistani are some of those people. Mm But also, these people who've been consorting with the Vistani in the Court of Miracles, they're also travelers, really. <laughs> you know, and that allows him to lump in everyone who is against him into that same group. Because it, it depends on which side you're trying to tell this from. If you're telling the story of the oppressed people, then you absolutely need to show them as like actual people who have an actual identity outside of oppression. But if the focus of the story is on the tragedy and the horror of this man who is caught up in bigotry, then by all means show like how two-dimensional that bigotry is and how mm-hmm. he doesn't even, I mean, he has this hatred within him and it could be directed at anybody that's convenient at any given moment. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that even ties in with some of the stuff we were talking about with the Court of Miracles as this kind of meeting point of all these people that are sort of rejecting society that sort of if everyone that he doesn't like is a traveler and he is the law, then sort of all of those people are kind of pushed together and given a kind of natural affinity. Mm -hmm. So once your PCs arrive there, whether they go knowing there's a bad guy they need to overthrow, and his name is Claude Frollo, (laughs) or whether they just are coming for normal PC stuff and are like, wow, that guy's terrible. We want to do something about him. What do you do when you're there? 
and a little bit of a spoiler for the sort of what type of campaign, but we, looking at this story, we see kind of one core story that you sort of experience this domain telling a core story. There's some domains where you can go and have an adventure and the Dark Lord's just brooding in his castle. This is one where like, no, you engage with Frollo. Mm-hmm. So much of everything we're doing is radiating out from Frollo that like you are not doing it right if they go to see to Notre Dame and there's no scenes with Frollo. And there's and he's not like the ultimate antagonist of the story you're telling. I mean it's like we're talking about with Sleeping Beauty. You don't want to go to the Sleeping Kingdom and not right. interact with Maleficent. You don't want to go to see to Notre Dame and not interact with Frollo. You're doing your PCs at a service. So we're seeing that fundamentally running an adventure in this domain is running an adventure about the PCs coming in and changing the status quo. And we have tried to create a setting where the status quo is really like teetering, where there's all these like points of tension that are just need a little mm-hmm. bit of external pressure to break. And really, what is a PC but external pressure on a setting? <laughs> and so it could be that you rescue Esmeralda, you kind of like Frollo captures her and you help her. He's going to do his evil ritual, you bust her out. It could be that you get Phoebus or Quasimodo or both to flip. It could be you get the people to rise up and defy Frollo. You kind of get that amazing, you know, huge mob attacking Frollo and his men at the Cathedral Square that we do have at the end of the movie. It could be all of the above if you want to do the full Hunchback of Notre Dame. (laughs) Just do all of that stuff and leave with the satisfaction of knowing you defied him and you helped people defy him and you diminish his authority somewhat, even if you can't like overthrow him. Yeah, I'll say too that I think this is an example of a place that has a central story that has moments within it that allow for adventures. Like mm-hmm. not that they ever would have done this, but there could have been a hunchback of Notre Dame the series because there's an interesting enough location with interesting enough dynamics. You can find a moment within it to do like serialized adventures. And so mm-hmm. that's a unique opportunity here is that you could you could do the one core adventure but slow motion and just right, like right, right. every once in a while we kind of touch in, especially because there is a, you know, a sort of natural headquarters for any character who's affiliated with Ezra. Yeah. You can definitely, you can have kind of the side quest where there's like this whole side mission where you kind of are seeing all the different facets of the court of miracles, like the good and the bad and are kind of coming to a crisis of like, Oh gosh, well, right. Yeah. They're also doing all together. These chaotic evil members doing these awful things, but then you get turned back around to Frollo. Is it maybe we don't care if there are chaotic evil members doing these things. And I am in the write up as always, we're doing a free write up mm-hmm. on DM's guild in the thing Nurses guide to Ravenloft style going to include a couple of plot hooks for just like random Notre Dame adventures mm-hmm, that have multiple mm-hmm. shout outs to French Gothic literature mm-hmm. and horror movies. And horror movies. <laughs> so if you're like, these are weird, what is happening? This has nothing to do with anything. It's a reference to it's a horror a movie. I'm sorry. Indulge me. <laughs> the colder. <Hunts laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is even why we keep bringing up the Frollo canceling the Feast of Fools is then that could be if you want to do the big kind of riot uprising mm-hmm. that then you can just imagine the sort of footloose-esque set piece of the PCs like convinced townspeople to like you know what forget Frollo we're gonna have the Feast of Fools and the guards come in and the people start fighting back and there's the big you know giant mob melee scene as as you have to like fight your way through the melee to rescue Esmeralda it's, it's gonna be great yeah. and footloose is a really good segue <laughs> 
in our dread possibilities, we always talk about aging up <laughs> and aging <laughs> down. <laughs> Tom laughs on cue at aging down this movie. Yeah, right. Because clearly the way that you Disney age didn't. down this like movie that's full of all these adult themes is to just add some funny gargoyles and then you're fine. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all good. But when we talk about these movies, you're listening to this, you're listening to a Disney Ravenloft podcast, maybe you are really interested in the Disney side of things because you have kids, you know, want to run these for your kids. Maybe you are really into the Ravenloft horror side of things and you want to run these for adult players, so we're going to talk about how to make this kid-friendly and how to really be playing up the adult aspects and the horror. And when we were talking about how to age this down... (laughs) Originally, all we could think of to say in this section was don't, yeah, and no. then we move on. <laughs> don't do this for children. <laughs> because Disney really did not pull it off. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. But then Tom cracked the case. Did I keep... Yeah, that yeah. was you. That was all did you. Did I crack the case? That was all you, yes. So, if you must, if you're like, <laughs> my children love Hunchback of Notre Dame and are, are demanding I run a gothic horror Ravenloft Hunchback, if you're, that is you in that very, I'm glad you found our podcast. <laughs> How lucky. Their first words were Victor Hugo. Yes. They're just like lifelong. Yeah, has to be this. Can't be anything else. They had to go digging through eBay for the, the short-lived merchandise they did right after the movie because they're sure not making it now. <laughs> Keep the Disney movie levels. You can do a lot of our plot stuff because a lot of our plot stuff is kind of taking from the middle of the movie and doing a lot of plot events that happen in the movie, like flipping Phoebus, flipping Quasimodo. That's what your kid players are going to want to do. So yeah, let mm-hmm. them do that. You know, very much make those pretty low DC persuasion rolls. The I, honestly, like I said, we would soft pedal it even in the movie, especially the stuff with Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. You can take some of the adult implications and just have it be like he's obsessed with destroying her. You know, that that's a change from ours, but once again, you can't do Frollo the character from the movie and, like, do justice to that character as an NPC for children. Yeah. Um, you do just have super... Even just Frollo as a character gives you these very heady themes of... Yeah, faith, of religion, of corruption, of hypocrisy. Make sure you know the kids. Make sure you know the parents. Like, we would run this. We'd be okay exploring those themes in a game with, like, our... Our own children. 12-year-old. Yeah, our own own oldest child. But he has a group of friends that do D&D, and I would not run this for them without Mm -hmm. a lot of emailing back and forth with, like, their parents first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That this this is so deep, so heavy, so personal to so many people. That even just the nature of the character is going to be a bit of a conversational landmine. Yeah, just getting into the religious themes is going to be so, like, you have to know exactly where everyone stands on religion. And just, um, if you want to have that conversation with your kid's friend's parents, have fun. I'm no just thanks. gonna be running Frollo as a tower like villain with no interiority if I'm running right, right. He can just be Sean Lithgow from Footloose. He can mm-hmm. just be he is this mean jerk who hates fun and <laughs> is mean to Quasimodo and canceled the Feast of Fools. And you get everybody to have you get Quasimodo to leave and tell him he's a mean jerk, and you get everyone to have a big party. Mm-hmm. And that you can do that. And that's not what any of us, I think, would want from our Hunchback of Notre Dame. But once again, if you're, like, demanding I run this for children, that I'm not 
are my own children, then that's what I do. Yeah, that was the big breakthrough was when Tom realized you can just do Footloose. Mm -hmm, And like, okay, all right, we got the Footloose to me. We're good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that like a theme park style of running this where it's like you get to meet Esmeralda, you get to meet Frollo, you get to meet Quasimodo, but we're not really going to engage any of the themes here. That would be the way to do it for... I don't even want to say kids, but like any situation where you don't want to engage this stuff with someone you're who's not going to take it in an adult mm. way, because this movie does fundamentally like th- this is why I think potentially it's so like I wouldn't be worried about kids even as much as I would be worried about the mm. kids parents, <laughs> because this is so much about like the psychology of bad authority mm-hmm. figures. And that's like not a thing that is safe to broach with other people's kids. That's like kids. not my um, place to, mm-hmm. to have that talk with yeah. other people's children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think sticking very much on the level of like, oh, hey, it's Quasimodo. It's your favorite Quasimodo. You know, he swings you around for a little while. That's the spot that I would go to for like if, if I guess at gunpoint I were forced to run this for other people's <laughs> children. So the flip side of that as we have the twin pillars of, of order and chaos, the Palace of Justice, the Court of Miracles, we have <laughs> aging down, and then we have aging up. You know what the content warnings are. I told you at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. We're going to get into <laughs> more detail on probably all of those, and future Rachel is going to pop in and warn you how much detail we're getting into and how far to skip ahead now. This is Future Rachel. I am frankly shocked. We kept this down to about 11 minutes. We are mostly in this section talking about what to do if one of your PCs is interested in being sort of the Esmeralda or the Quasimodo, mainly the Esmeralda, uh, in this situation. So that does lead to us talking about themes of sexual violence, about themes of objectification, particularly within marginalized groups. So if that's not something that you want to listen to, we completely understand that. Skip forward about 11 minutes to around the 36 and a half minute mark. Yeah, boy, th- there's so much potential here. I, yeah, right? I mean, you can't watch this movie as an adult and not think about what this movie could have been if it didn't have to be like a marketable Disney movie. Yeah, yeah really. they didn't have to sell Burger King puppets. Uh-huh. Run the game that you wanted this movie yeah, to yeah. be, watching it as an adult, and you've got your aging up, more or less. Yeah, first off, as always, like Session Zero, Session oh Zero, the living hell, uh-huh. the hellfire uh-huh. out of this stuff, like this is everything bad in the world is basically Mm -hmm. being touched on Mm -hmm. by this movie. I realized when I was listing all the things that Frollo is in the beginning, I forgot Ableist, so that's there too. Yeah. It's just, it's all, it's everything. It's every box on the little checklist Mm. you got from the internet. It's everything. And to me, the the line between like baseline mature, like where adults were role-playing and doing this in a kind of a very bold we know each other, we're comfortable tackling heavy things way, is to involve players and player characters in the core themes here instead of having the player characters just sort of watch it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there is a potential for Frollo to have a connection to a player character of the kind that he has with Esmeralda. There's a potential for a player character who you know, can actually empathize with Quasimodo instead of just sort of looking at him as like, boy, he's in a rough situation, Mm -hmm. Um, whether because of like disability or because of like parental trauma or whatever. 
all that stuff would really require talking with players about what they're comfortable with, but it has the potential to enrich this so much because you can actually be in that story instead of sort of watching that story unfold among the NPCs in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if you want there to be a PC who is kind of in the Esmeralda role, before we were planning this episode, Chris, I went back and listened to your Gameable Disney episode about Hunchback, and you were talking about some of these, you know, themes of sexual violence and whatnot. And you mentioned that one of the key things with Frollo kind of fixating on Esmeralda was that it's not about Frollo, it's about Esmeralda. It's about kind of the experience that she's signing on for as a player, mm-hmm. like that she wanted to play this marginalized character, that she wanted to play this character from this this culture that's kind of fetishized. And that, you know, this is, you, you can see the GM and the PC talking behind the scenes yeah. saying, okay, is this a place where you're okay with this going? Like, are you cool with this being part of your experience of playing this character? Mm-hmm. And then Esmeralda's player says, oh yeah, I'm all over that. And then it's there. It's not like just kind of randomly the female character with the highest charisma score mm-hmm. is selected for this role. So really making sure that it's part of kind of the PC's core concept, I think is a really critical thing here if you're going to be having a uh, PC filling the Esmeralda role. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I, I think that's right. I, I stand behind that. And I think that like Frollo is such an interesting character, but like can be an NPC in this scenario, obviously as a Dark Lord would be an NPC. Oh, you would never want a player character to get pressed into being yeah, yeah, yeah. the like a pawn in his story, mm-hmm. um, you know, for multiple reasons. And however, if it is coming from the player character that they're interested in this, then I think there's something really rich here to do because there, this touches on so many things. This story touches on sexuality. It touches on all different kind of versions of marginalization. And it touches on like faith specifically and um, the hypocrisy in general of people who feel a cultural authority that they're then able to sort of abuse to pursue, you know, their own personal motives. I think like whether whether you're portraying Frollo as an agent of government primarily or of, uh, you know, faith or of the church primarily, there's really a story to be told there about the way that those structures of authority can hurt people and the way that that is not the whole story about those structures. I think mm-hmm. that's something significant about the movie that like if Disney had not been so conservative about keeping Frollo away from like he's it's not like he's a priest it's not like mm-hmm. he's a real you know religious authority figure then they could have dug into the fact that like there is more to this faith like this faith is a symbol of both hope and depression mm-hmm. because it consists of people who don't always make the right choices and that is a very nuance like that's the thing you don't want to do with your neighbor's kids yeah. <laughs> that could be very powerful with uh with an adult player group to get into like okay if you're playing a character you know as many people will be who are like the sexy rogue, like the sexy tiefling rogue or whatever. On the one hand, that's a level of like cachet. That's a level of like appreciation that people have for you. But on the other hand, it does make you a target. Mm -hmm. And specifically, it makes you a target for people who want to abuse the supposed moral high ground Mm -hmm. to justify their victimization of you, to make you out to be the bad guy while they exploit you. That's... That's something maybe that tiefling rogue has not gotten a chance to deal with in other places, even in Ravenloft, that this would be the perfect place to touch on it if that's a story the player wants to tell. Mm-hmm. In Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, in the section on Barovia, they talk about the idea of a PC as a Tetiana reincarnation. And in Curse of Strahd, it's an NPC named Irenia. Very, very common, like, fan hack is to have a PC playing her. 
mm-hmm. because that is then now a character mm-hmm. that's so central to the story. And that is you're like engaged in the story in a way that you're not like, we're here to help the character, the, the NPCs do the actual story. <laughs> and I think that'd be a good place to start if you want to think about this as looking for sort of the, especially in the Van Richten's Guide, the sort of advice they give about that possibility, about like talking with your players, about pros and cons, about like safety tools, things like that. Because that's kind of what we're suggesting mm-hmm. here is almost having a PC playing the equivalent of a Tetiana reincarnation in Barovia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, that's actually a good place to bring in something that um, I wanted to touch on is like the sort of, at least for me, the outer extreme of what I would countenance here. And it comes specifically from, I, we mentioned earlier in the episode, the Hard Choices podcast. I was on an episode about Disney villains where the appeal of Frollo romantically was not a point of great agreement among the hosts on that episode. <laughs> People will react differently. Like if you ever needed a, you know, proof that you need your session zero, hmm. that's a great episode to listen to. Mm-hmm. But um, I think like I, if you wanted to go in the direction of looking at what it means that Frollo has this desire toward Esmeralda and how much of that is like pure evil and how much of that is like a thing that is good that has kind of been corrupted by Frollo's own twisted version of his faith and something that potentially is like actually sexy for players, <laughs> um, even if that is in like a very messed up way, <laughs> I would definitely recommend that episode. Uh, you know, spoilers for the rankings, but like our mutual friend, Megan Bob, I, I have found Megan Bob to be a, a great inspiration for sexy ideas. Go listen to Hard Choices. And, and <laughs> not with your kids. That's not, not for this podcast. Not with your kids. <laughs> Yeah, not with your kids. All, all the discussion of uh, hard choices is locked in the aging up section. In our in our prologue, yes. I, I mentioned that part of why we have this be a family friendly podcast is that many of my favorite podcasts I cannot listen to with my kids in the room, and I, I wanted to make sure that I gave that to our listeners. Hard choices is at the top of my list of podcasts that I can't listen to with my kids in yeah. the room. <laughs> like, we yeah, can't even I've, I've got a child. That's the way yeah, it's described yeah, yeah. on the show. <laughs> That is 100% true, and I would not bring it up except in this particular episode where Disney felt yeah. fit mm-hmm. to create a character who is like, oh, yeah, if you want to if you want to really dig into this character, like if this, you know, practically, what, like three hours of solid Frollo talk is not enough for you, go go listen mm. to how people feel about him on Hard Choices. Uh, but yeah, this is a, a one-off. If you invite me back on the show, I promise. No hard choices, no worries. And then one other thing you could potentially do with adult characters, as Chris was saying, the nice thing with uh, older players or even just more mature players is that you can engage more organically and more comprehensively with the themes and the story as opposed to just kind of watching it happen. And you can dig into that idea of the sort of darkest version of yourself and your worst impulses. This could be kind of a version of Frollo's power of manifesting your darkest self. But we talked about how part of the the tragedy and relatability of Frollo, in so much as there is some, is we can all recognize that impulse to kind of externalize our worst self. And that sort of darkness within us and struggling, possibly even denying that thing, that darkness within us. And you could go in a little bit more, especially if your PCs kind of get hit with Frollo's whammy, then that could be a really interesting, it could be fun, it could also be really intense sort of role playing of them struggling with their sort of darkest version of themselves. And we were talking about it and Chris brought up the White Wolf game Wraith. And in that game, you are a ghost, you're a wraith, and the idea is you have your shadow self that is sort of your, your darkest, your worst self, and that in the, the wraith, one of the coolest features of that game is that another 
player plays your shadow self. That they're sort, you're not just sort of role playing these kind of two characters. You are role playing the ghost. But then, you know, if we were in a group together, then like Chris or Rachel would be role playing my character's shadow self would be kind of the voice in your head pushing you to be your worst self. And that is Frollo and mm-hmm. his existence. And that could be something you really could dig into for a lot of psychological complexity with if they get hit with Frollo's power. That would be sort of the justification for pulling out this mechanic that you didn't have before. And that could be a real interesting, real memorable, like, role play. Especially you're not doing it for a whole campaign. You're doing it for, like, this domain specifically. Mm-hmm. Is the let's explore our darkest selves <laughs> PCs domain. Yeah, I would be super into that. And having another player, like, either from the flames or, like, within you once for a low is kind of put the whammy on you, as you say. Having another player kind of come to me as, like, the voice of my character as as an evil character would be very, very interesting and get like a level of role play that you often Mm -hmm. can't get from player characters because usually we're talking about practical stuff in the context of, you know, like we're going to plan the heist or whatever. And it would be really fun to put another player in a and d session into the context of like, you are my worst impulses. Try to talk me into being bad, you know? (laughs) And then the final thing we like to do with Dread Possibilities, we always have aging down. We always have aging up. But if we have AU ideas. So if you listened two months ago, we had a couple of different takes on Beauty and the Beast. And this one, we also have a couple of, especially collaborating with another person, a -hmm. couple of, like, different takes on how you could run this domain. So... Chris, you yeah, Chris, this, this is your baby. Kind of so, your yeah. yeah, yeah, your deformed baby that Frollo tries to throw into a well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I really would love a version of this where it takes place as like an emergent domain that, as part of the plot, maybe the player characters put a stop to, where it takes place in in a city in an existing domain, and as Frollo takes more and more control, the boundaries of that domain kind of spread. Um, we, first within the city and then sort of to the limits of the city. And the player characters are there to watch all of this happening. I think that that would be a very different way to do this because at the beginning of the story, Frollo was not a dark lord. You would need to condense the timeline somewhat. But I think that you would you would get a great payoff for the trouble of modifying it in that way in that this can be a city that the player characters already have mm-hmm. um, history in, that the players already have investment in, especially if they're familiar with Ravenloft as a setting. Mm-hmm. And that suddenly having this character of Frollo go from being a relatively like if not a minor villain then certainly like a side villain or like a you know like we're used to running into him from time to time and he causes us trouble the threat of him becoming a dark lord and like gradually taking things over um, I think would be very powerful especially for characters who have a strong connection to whatever your your version of the cathedral is. Um, there are a few places in Ravenloft where you could place an important Temple of Ezra or whatever, Church of Ezra, or you, of course you could invent your own. And I think, yeah, giving the player characters a chance to feel at home there, to feel like they know what this domain is, and then have this guy Frollo start spreading out these borders would help you with your themes because it is this like creeping authoritarianism. And it would put your player characters in a uniquely powerful position to change the course of events because, like, this is becoming a domain before our eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's all about this one person's twisted faith that gets you right into the interior of Frollo, which 
I somehow feel like might be the most interesting thing about this movie to all of us. I don't know why I say that, except the fact that we're like... Rounding the three None of us will shut up about it. Yeah. That's 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 my thought. Yeah, when, when you were talking about this, one of the things that you were mentioning was that with the movie, a thing that we get is that it's Paris, it's Notre Dame, it's these locations that, mm, you know, yes. mean something to us as viewers. And if it's just kind of like, you know, well, what's the domain of Flubelflop's land <laughs> and the Cathedral of Fnorp? Then you know, that that doesn't mean anything. Um, and even if you say like, oh, it's, well, it's like this Cathedral of Ezra. Okay, well, you know, that on paper, that means something. But if you've been to it kind of before Frollo takes charge, before it's been corrupted, if your Ezra-worshipping PCs had a pilgrimage there when it was this, you know, holy, undefiled place in this city that had its problem, like all cities, especially in Ravenloft, do, but wasn't being taken over by Frollo, then they're going to love it. It's going to mean something to them. And seeing what Frollo is doing to it is really going to have that punch. So that was that was a really good point. And you have a, can you have a variant of that if you're not running a Ravenloft campaign, in mm-hmm. which case, thank you for listening to our podcast. <laughs> and if you're running like in the Forgotten Realms, you know it wouldn't be Ezra, obviously, but you could have... Just in, like, Baldur's Gate, there's this cathedral, and there's these people called the Travelers, and there's this jerk of a judge who's also kind of a cleric called Claude Frollo, and you interact with them as this part of the, like, non-Ravenloft adventure, but then you're actually either, like, there when they get pulled into Ravenloft, or, like, it happens when you're somewhere else. You have to deal with there's been this sort of mystical change, and now the kind of cathedral district of the city is gone. You sort of get this in the adventure uh, Descent in Avernus, where you have, like, this city gets pulled into the um, into Avernus, into one of the Nine Hells. And so you have that sort of, you go into Avernus, and there's the kind of dark reflection of the city, and your goal is to sort of undo the demonic pact and, like, get the city restored to the, the land of the living. So this could be good for if you're running a regular game, you love Hunchback of Notre Dame, and you want a kind of classic Ravenloft weekend in Hell Adventure. You just want to, like, it's October, you want to do something spooky, but also Disney, and so you just drop your PCs into this one Ravenloft setting that they have familiarity with from the regular world of your campaign. And they go, and they do this, and they fight Frollo, and they save Esmeralda, and they get Quasimodo to call him a jerk, and then they, like, get to leave and go back to their regular, less depressing Dungeons & Dragons adventures. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, honestly, there's, uh, if I were feeling like a very generous GM, and I was just, like, up for whatever, there would be some fun here in, like, running this as, you know, you've been sucked into Ravenloft, and at the end, give them the choice about which way to go. Mm -hmm. Because... That would that would then connect to these themes. It's like, you know, especially if you are characters who are definitely on the side of good, it's like, do you want to sort of delve further into this relatively hopeless world and deal with all this stuff? Or do you see this as kind of a pit trap that you fell into cosmologically and now like you've climbed out of it and it's like, let's go back to the world where like everything works the way it should and we can, you know, our gods are as present as they need to be and, you know, all that stuff. I think like without putting a morality judgment on that choice, right, right. that would be very indicative of what the players want and also like a great character moment. Mm, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so we have discussed a number of possible Adventures you could run for regular groups, for a group where you're very comfortable with the maturity of everyone, for a very bizarre set of circumstances where you're running it for a group of younger players. Don't do it! Yeah, no, don't do that. But if you had to, we helped. So 
let's say a last few words about some of our thoughts on this domain, some of our thoughts on this movie and converting it into a domain. Let's give you our parting thoughts in a section we like to call... Parting Thoughts. So we always like to start our parting thoughts section with the genres of horror. Now, if you've listened to other episodes, you know the whole deal. <laughs> In Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, it goes through each domain, and it gives these two genres of horror for them. And there is a previous section where it defines those genres of horror, and Rachel and I both agree this is probably, like, the best mm -hmm. section of the whole book. And I like a lot of that book, but that part is amazing. And it's a really wonderful way to classify the different types of horror experiences and then use that classification to guide the sort of planning of the horror experience that you want the players to have with that particular domain. So we found that's a very useful thing to import to our wonderful Dark Lords as well. <laughs> so, Chris, you are our guest. So what do you think are the genres of horror that you would apply to this city of Notre Dame under the iron rule of Judge Claude Frollo? So first of all, I, I didn't feel the need to go for like the best ones because I felt like there are, you know, a number of good fits here. And so I, I wasn't shooting for like this is I, I was looking for more like the ones that grabbed me. Mm. First of all, I think that dark fantasy would be a good choice because mm -hmm. um, I think that adding lots of fantasy elements helps transform this from what it is in mm. the movie, which I think might be particularly necessary here because it is such a psychological story mm -hmm. that already knowing the arc of the characters, players might feel like they're just kind of going through the motions, uh, that that would maybe be a risk. And so really like taking the chance to fantasy it up and change the way that things work, you know, keep those elements, those basic elements, but give it more magic, give it more monsters, give it some kind of trappings to compete with the film. Iconography might work really well. So that's one choice. The other one though, and, and the one that grabbed me the most is um, actually disaster. Oh, interesting. Yeah, something just really grabbed me about the way that the city falls apart at the end of the story mm -hmm. and the way that you have such a theme of like, because on the one hand we have this tight psychological focus on Frollo, but then everyone else in the story is really caught up in things that are far beyond their control. And I love the dichotomy of those things. The fact that for Frollo, this is a personal story, but for everyone else, this is the world sweeping them up and doing things that don't seem to sort of respect people's, you know, individual autonomy, faith, community, tradition, everything is like, the ground that they walk on has just been swept up by this disaster of first the genocide, but then also increasingly like the, you know, the unrest at the end of the movie that we see and the, you know, the assault on the cathedral, all that. So, yeah, I, I think that telling this as a story of like a city almost literally sinking into hell and all of the practical things that didn't sue from that and then underneath that, the layer of it being caused by and mirrored by this one man's torment psychologically would be really, really cool. That's really interesting. That's it really almost reminds me yeah. of like Cloverfield, but Frollo is the kaiju. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're kind of getting the point of view of the people who are running in terror from the kaiju who is Frollo. <laughs> and like you even think of a character like Phoebus or Esmeralda, like Quasimodo is a character in need of change, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. Phoebus and Esmeralda like were basically fine. They were like living their lives and everything was okay. And then like kind of all the foundation of their life is just completely upended 
by this kind of social earthquake. So just Phoebus, and honestly, like, I never loved Phoebus, but the more I think of him as an NPC in this <laughs> game, the more we kind of talk about him in relationship to Frollo, the more I like the character. That he is this person that had this very, like, he knows his place, he knows his role, he knows his job, he has his beliefs, he has his values, and all of that sort of is humming along nicely. <laughs> and Frollo just sticks a wrench in the gear, and kind of all of those things are overturned. Mm -hmm. Like, everything in his life, every certainty in his life before he comes back to Paris is completely upended by the end of the movie. Yeah, you know, what it kind of reminds me of, not like tonally, but sort of like thematically, is something like um, Catch-22, where it's like you're seeing characters caught up in war as this disaster that is so far beyond the personal that it is it is confusing and kind of corrosive for people to exist in. Uh, and we have great characters to tell that story with because both things are true about Phoebus, right? Like this is a character who is, on, as you say, on the one hand, like clearly like he's, he's good, he's committed to a path, all that stuff. He kind of comes into the story that way. But at the same time, like he's just come out of war and he's now come into what Frollo is telling him is like an even sort of greater war against like his neighbors. And this, the degree of division and violence in the city all that stuff, it's like that isn't Phoebus's fault and it doesn't affect him directly in a certain sense, but yet being plunged into it like he is on a very deep level kind of like dissolved by it. Like I kind of like that sense in something like MASH or Catch-22 mm -hmm. where, you know, you see those characters just sort of like suffer from being plunged into this inhumane environment, uh, in this case, one that Frollo's created. So yeah, yeah, that, that, that was my pick for like a different take. <laughs> That's really cool that, stuff. That is cool, yeah. And this is a good example when we talk about how, how useful the genres of horror are. They're not just useful as a taxonomy. Mm -hmm. They're useful as a guideline. Mm -hmm. That if someone is listening to this and they're like, they love this idea and they love what you're saying, then that's something you can build the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the, the Notre Dame adventure around. Mm -hmm. They can say... I love this. I want this to be the what my players experience. I want this to be the horror of this setting that they're going into. And then that's a, an enormous help in building the whole adventure they're going to run for those players of saying, that's the horror I want to invoke. Like, mm -hmm. I want this to be the setting of sort of everything being turned upside down, of this corrosiveness, and of this kind of society tearing itself apart. That's reflecting sort of the characters, even good people in this society, kind of being internally torn apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now for our boring pedestrian <laughs> lame-o takes yeah, Tom, on. Tom and I are going to do the obvious yeah, ones. <laughs> maybe, maybe gothic horror. Um, maybe gothic Rachel horror. gothic horror? Uh, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> it's Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's one of so the like gothic touchstones of literature. Boring town. Yeah, this is... In boring town. This is one of those... Yeah, this is it's a touchstone of gothic literature. Like, this is <laughs> one of the foundational texts. And it's gothic. So, uh, gothic. It's do gothic. It's It's got the innocent, the mm -hmm. corrupting figure, the external place that expresses the internal, the... You kind of have a neat, like, sort of flip out where you have... You know, Quasimodo, the kind of physically deformed figure who in a lot of classic Gothic, that's a sign of moral corruption. Here it's a sign, like, the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. Like, he is the morally pure one of the, like, the pair of them. But is, is Gothic. It's Gothic, yeah. <laughs> so what's your, oh, your non-Gothic one? My non-Gothic boring pick is foreshadowed by what Chris was talking about, which is psychological. Yeah, right. A word he actually dropped. In yeah, right. His, uh, 
in his description of his less boring choices. I just decided to take all the horror. <laughs> yeah, right. All of the above. So how do we do folk horror with this? Mm. <laughs> That's what I want to know. But yeah, with, we're getting into, it's all about Frollo's psychology. Mm. It's all about how he kind of externalizes that psychology onto everyone around him. Mm. You're going to be able to get into some really amazing psychological stuff with the PCs mm-hmm. if they if they fall victim to this Hellfire ability. That's just, oh my gosh, if you're a GM and you're not salivating over that, I do not know what to tell you. There's, there's so much psychological horror potential there. If you... And, and like I said, this is a great use of those genres of horror. That mm-hmm. This isn't just a classification. Whatever of those things we've been talking about really appeals to you, listener, then you, you grab that genre of horror, and then that can be your guidepost in planning the whole adventure. Mm-hmm. So it can be like, do you really love the idea of Frollo's internality, that he is projecting all of his own perceived weaknesses, that that is sort of part of the corruption of the domain, that idea of the hellfire moment, the PCs sort of being pushed to be the worst versions of themselves, because that's what Frollo perceives, then you know to kind of lean in a psychological horror, read that section of Van Richten's guide, and see what tips it has for psychological horror, and make that a big part of your campaign. Because mm-hmm. if you want to do something fun and creative and cool, then <laughs> something like disaster horror. Or dark fantasy. Figure out what fantasy, monsters yeah. you want to use, yeah. For the write-up, because we are boring and basic, <laughs> I will probably be doing... I was gothic and so I'm like, I feel bad. This is so obvious. Yeah. Like, I want to come up with something cool and clever, but uh, gothic and psychological horror. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you got to serve what this is good for, right? Like, if somebody's if somebody's interested mm-hmm. in playing gothic horror in Ravenloft, you would be doing them a disservice by having this be like this weirdo thing that is, you know, mm-hmm. that is not that because this is the perfect place. I mean, not that they're hurting for places to do gothic horror in Ravenloft, but <laughs> you know, among the domains that you're doing, uh, yeah, this this seems like it's such an obvious choice. You have to you have to do it. Yeah, there's a dearth of gothic horror in Disney movies. <laughs> So then we talk about what kind of game you play for the setting, because some settings, some domains are a full years-long campaign. Your Curse of Strahd is a years-long campaign you can run just in Barovia, and it's not even engaging with every potential plot hook in Barovia. Others are more like Odier, where it's the evil Pinocchio domain, and you get turned into puppets. And you go there, and you get turned into puppets, and you fight evil puppets, and you get your bodies back, and then you leave. And that is like the one mm-hmm. thing you do. And that's awesome. <laughs> but there's one story. You don't spend years and years and years oh my doing <laughs> like side quests and plot hooks and interacting with NPCs and ODR. It's the puppet one. <laughs> so this one is sort of a mix that I don't think this is a full on Barovia or Darkon. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's like me and my party have been playing monthly for three years. This is maybe like a couple months of monthly play. And you could do one-shots. You could have a drop-it. You could just do like a one, two-parter where you you go in, you meet Frollo. Frollo's a bad guy. You paint a mustache on a statue, and then you move on. You like win a little victory and then move on. If there is a longer than that, then you do need to get pulled into this core political conflict of Frollo's persecution of the travelers, Frollo's persecution just of everyone, his hunting for Esmeralda, his relationship with Quasimodo, his relationship with Phoebus. And 
if you do anything more substantial than basically that kind of one-shot drop-in, then it kind of is inevitably leading to a confrontation with Frollo. That, like, you can do a whole bunch of adventures in Barovia where you're not necessarily interacting with Strahd. Like, Rachel has run adventures where we're in Barovia and Strahd doesn't show up. You can't really do that here. Like, anything more than a one-shot, and it's inevitable you get pulled into Frollo's orbit because so much of the hooks we have, so much of the story extends out from him. And it's leading to that showdown. And we are going to have in the write-up, in the free write-up on DM's Guild, a couple of plot hooks for just random side missions. Like, this could be a... You could really take your time with it and be like, you, you know, find the Court of Miracles and you join the court, but you need to sort of, you know, win their trust. So you have to do a couple jobs for them. Or you're trying to flip Phoebus and get his help saving Esmeralda, but before you do that, you need to win his trust. You need to help him with some really difficult cases and that he's trying to pursue in the name of justice. And you, you can you can take your time with it, but it is that arc, whether it's a long arc or a short arc, of you come into the city, you discover all the oppression, and you discover all of the sort of internal corruption, the spiritual corruption, if not the, like, bribing people corruption, and you take sides and you help people against Frollo and it leads to a confrontation. Like, this one really kind of has to have a boss fight. And there's that Ravenloft plot armor problem of the boss fight. You can't 100% win, but there are a couple of ways you can make a change to the status quo. Even like there are a lot of players will love if they can just get Quasimodo to flip and like leave the cathedral and reject Frollo and go to the, be part of the Court of Miracles. They'll high five, they'll be happy, and like that glow will carry them into the next adventure. Yeah, yeah. I think that you're right in saying that this setting sort of has a weight of its own that if you start to spend any amount of time more than a one shot there, you're gradually getting sucked in and it, it's going to sort of build momentum toward a confrontation. I actually think that's great on both fronts. It's great as just like a place to go, sort of a home base or like, let's get to town and get provisions, just like where you would otherwise sort of use a generic place. Using Notre Dame in that way allows you to serve the secondary purpose of building toward a future story because you see that there's an issue here, but because Frollo is a legitimate authority in early stages of the story, this is not yet so oppressive that it's like, mm. okay, we just stopped here for a burger, but we have to topple the government. It's like, you know, <laughs> Doctor Who style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can we can shake our fists at this and move on to what we were doing. That allows you to like put this in the background, put that money in the bank, and then come back here later feeling like we kind of know the situation here. Oh, yeah, I remember. I hated this when <laughs> we came through here. Let's do something about it this time. The other thing is that it it serves your ultimate, like when you do this plot, this one big plot about Frollo, we already have met these characters. We've interacted with them in some way. If we've run into Phoebus and he's done us a solid because he's basically a good guy in a bad job, then we're going to have different feelings about him coming down on us because at this point, Frollo is not taking no for an answer and he wants us arrested or you know when we see phoebus sort of what we would perceive to be persecuting someone it'll give us pause like wait a minute like i know you're a paladin mm -hmm. like, you laid hands on us last time we came through here why would you be doing this what's going on or you know if we've interacted with the court of miracles like any of these key characters really would be great contacts for different kinds of pcs so i love the idea of using like frollo for example as a quest giver hmm. you know he he could be somebody who gives the team multiple like 
root out these people in like our local sort of thieves guild equivalent, the court of miracles or help out with this. Like I have a missive that I need to send to this church of Ezra over here. Then after we've had a couple of missions from him and spent a little time in Notre Dame, we realize this guy is in a sense on the right side, but he's definitely the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. He's, he's not a good guy. And as he's getting out of control, we might feel like we kind of need to, to bite the hand a little bit. All those are great possibilities especially if they occupy a place in your campaign that would otherwise be, okay, there's a, there's a small town without a name on the horizon, and it looks like they probably sell sling bullets, so <laughs> have fun. I think this could be, um, this has the potential to be more, but it would, it would require you to kind of like weave in other stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it sort of makes me think of, um, I'd be tempted because I, the setting feels small in a certain way, but it also feels like there are things happening and it's richly developed enough. I would treat it almost like a, um, like Traverse Town in Kingdom Hearts or something like that, where it's like, this is the place where like we know we have some familiar NPCs that we care about. Mm -hmm. It connects to other places. So we we're, we go and do things that aren't really Hunchback of Notre mm -hmm. Dame from here, passing through here, um, and then sort of gradually build equity in the location. That would be cool, yeah. Um, and that way, because I think like, yeah, using like using Les Mis, using uh, well, horror movies, using other like other gothic things that kind mm -hmm. of fit in like, this is a thing that could be happening in the countryside nearby. That would be really cool. Or even, um, you know, if you wanted to do something with uh, the Ezra stuff, if that was in your foreground, then um, if you want this to be this like big, important right. cathedral, it could have a thing where like it has, you know, traditional roads that lead like if you follow these, you can go through the mist to other major cathedrals or churches of Ezra and then just go and like do other Ezra stuff that's sort of like variations on a theme. All that stuff could be could be really cool. Make it the end of a pilgrimage. even uh -huh. Something like that would be cool. But yeah. You thinking about it, you can have this as your base even as long as you have frollo kind of in the background mm -hmm. and then you have a whole bunch of the, the kind of the first part of the campaign is using this as the base of operations you're either doing other paris stuff or you're going to other domains and doing other domain stuff and then you kind of have in the background the kind of ratcheting up the persecution and you come back and gambling's been forbidden and you come back and the theaters are all closed and you come back and yeah, that would be that would be really interesting. And it is still leading to a boss fight with Frollo, but it's still leading to the big like climax of the movie, the Disney movie. But it, it, it gives you a lot. You, you take a really long road to get there. It's like it's like an RPG video game where you're like, okay, this this comet's coming to destroy the world, but first let's like you know gamble. Let's win all the gambling prizes from the casino and let's max out all the subquests and let's. Mm -hmm. Let's do all that. And we, we are going to... We'll get to it. We'll get to Frollo. But let's do all these little, like, rabbit trails first. Yeah, yeah, very much so. It, it it helps hit your themes, too, because rather than coming into town and seeing, like, this immediate, very clear oppression that we kind of have to do something about, like, if you're a paladin, you kind of have to step in. Rather than that, have it be that it's just a fact of doing business here that, like, mm -hmm. suppose we're using the Vistani to be, like synonymous with or part of the travelers here we've got a vistani character it's just part of being in our home base town that like when you're going to certain places that person either stays home or stays hidden they're not wanted in this particular location they're going to cause trouble mm -hmm. likewise there is this kind of underworld where that character may be able to interact a little more because the vistani here are being persecuted and so they're a little suspicious of people clanking up to them in armor and asking you know where to buy the good shit. And so if that's just part of doing business here, then as it gets worse and worse, then we it starts to be like, okay, this is turning from like a quirk of the town into like, we know these people and these people might not make it one way or another through this situation. Mm -hmm. So this is going from 
setting feature to like a fight in the making. Hmm. Um, I think that transition is really interesting. Yeah. So this is weirdly enough through pure coincidence of scheduling our third Francophonic <laughs> Disney domain <laughs> in a row. <laughs> but if we wanted to connect it, so obviously there is that other connection to Beauty and the Beast, to Princess and the Frog, to the other Francophonic Disney movie domains we've done. This is the third time in a row where our Google Doc, this section has opened with, it's France, some kind of relationship with Damon Lou or Rishmalo, question mark? <laughs> so, Rachel, some kind of relationship to France. <laughs> if we wanted to connect it to the wider Ravenloft core, existing Ravenloft domains, if you were doing a Ravenloft game and you're like, I also want to do Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's a class work of Gothic literature, then... Some kind of relationship to Damon Lou or Rishmalo? The most obvious connection would be, especially going off old Damon Lou, having Cité de Notre Dame basically be Port Lucine, mm. because Port Lucine was Ravenloft Paris back in the day. Mm, like now it's yes. Ravenloft Cinderella Land. Mm. But back in the day, it basically was Ravenloft Paris. It had an opera house, it was just, you know, the whole nine yards. And that would tie in really well with some of the stuff that you were talking about, Chris, with wanting to have it be an existing city that you're seeing this happen to. And Port Lucene is one that it maps onto really well. Mm -hmm. And an issue with it being Port Lucene that you do it with is that in every iteration, whichever Dihonair is in charge of Damon mm -hmm. Lu in the iteration, that's their seat of power. So if that would work really well with the idea of the disaster horror and things being destroyed in a war story because whichever Dihonair it is, they're going to want it back. So it's going to be not only that Frollo is having this city that he's put on lockdown and he's running this intense genocidal campaign within it, but also that Dihonair wants it back. You could do a similar thing. It doesn't connect with the France stuff as well, but you could do a, a similar thing if you had it be Lovecrest. Because in the old lore, Lovecrest was basically where the Ezra Vatican was. Mm -hmm. So that was you know, that's your biggest temple of Ezra. That's where a lot of the pilgrimages are going to be happening. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Ezra stuff in a minute, but it's kind of the seat of the lawful neutral faction of Ezra, which we were talking about is a really good match for this. In the write-up, I'm basically saying like this is a lawful neutral religion. Mm -hmm. But once again, Lovecrest is the seat of Ivana's power. Mm. So, and that's you know, in both incarnations, Misericordia is right there next to Lovecrest. So, Ivana is going to be really cheesed if Rollo is doing anything to Lovecrest. So, that's another place if you wanted to really lean into that disaster horror and have it be that. Frollo has closed the borders. He is cutting it off from what he sees as being this very, you know, decadent and and sinful ruler, especially if it's Ivana. Uh -huh. Then uh and, <laughs> and they're trying to get it back. That could again, if you want to lean into that disaster horror stuff, that could be really cool. This is a thing where you got kinda of, I can see two options and they're both mm -hmm. really cool. And one is that Notre Dame in both real life and in the movie, the cathedral, is on an island. That there's the same sign. Sorry, Frank. French <laughs> we keep doing I, this I to just, you, French people. I'm sorry. <laughs> the river in Paris. And there's an island in the river, and that's where the cathedral is. And, you know, the movie doesn't take place exclusively on that island. But it would be very easy to put all the major locations on that island and say it's almost now 
becoming a pocket domain within the wider domain, mm-hmm. which I know is not unprecedented. Mm-mm. And another option is if you don't want to go full domain lord with Frollo, the nice thing is you did have that legacy of things like Dark Towers checks mm-hmm. where you have that same sort of gothic moralist the external is expressing the internal the monster within is becoming the monster without maybe he's just a major powerful npc who's kind of being corrupted by the dark powers in which case that sort of the plot is the domain lord pushing back against this annoyingly powerful judge who's basically declared martial law in this part of the city Mm -hmm. or in this one city in their domain. Yeah, you know, these interactions give you a chance to play with what I think is a really interesting part of um, Frollo, which is the way that he clings to his faith and the way that others feel the need to accord him, you know, it gives him cover. Mm -hmm. Um, This is extreme, but I know in the materials that you sent me, Rachel, about different like factions of the faith of Ezra, there's this idea of of, like the shield of Ezra, Mm -hmm. right? That is uh, like a distinct expression of a way to follow Ezra. If the dark powers gave Frollo something that could be interpreted as that, Mm -hmm. then it creates like a political situation where it's like suddenly you have like followers who are interested in this potentially word of this is spreading and not that everybody would have to buy it but that it would be uncertain enough that you might not want to move openly against him unless it is a desperate situation just because of the material consequences that would ensue. Even if you don't really believe that that's what this is, there would still be the question of, well, then what is it? And what's going to happen with all these people who think that he's on a mission from Ezra to Mm -hmm. clean out the city after I, you know, squash him. So (laughs) I think, you know, whether you're going to use the shield thing specifically or not, I think that like having some expression of his power that is arguably like seems faith based, um, seems Ezra based. That would that would give an excuse for those nearby who are very powerful to give him, hopefully, give him enough rope rather than coming right at him and kind of antagonizing a whole faith. Maybe. So if I may, Grognar, for a minute. <laughs> so plot twist. Plot twist. I just suddenly am having like a story occur to me, mm-hmm. like with Frollo as an NPC. And the great thing is, you can kill him. Mm-hmm. He's not a Dark Lord. He has no plot armor. You can just throw a gargoyle at him to track him into hell <laughs> and get the satisfaction of the end of the movie Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is always a nice thing to be able to offer your players. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, there are four branches of the Church of Ezra. Yes. And there's sort of a prophecy of a fifth branch. Yes. And there are certain signs mm-hmm. that the fifth branch, like the authentic fifth branch, will be able to produce. Mm-hmm. If I may, if I may jump in, yeah, to, jump in. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, basically with the Church of Ezra, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just, buckle just, up, listener. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to keep this relevant to what Thomas said. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are the four branches because the founding branch was the lawful neutral one, which is why the Vatican is the lawful neutral one. And then there are you know, branching off. You've got the lawful good, the lawful evil, and the true neutral. So kind of each one is only one step removed. And it's really cool. It's really well thought out. I love this, that there are a million different splinter sets of the Church of Ezra, not just these four, because that's what happens with religions. And the great thing is, is if you have a deity that actually grants their followers' magical powers if they're mm. truthfully following them, then you could have tests to see whether or not this is an authentic expression of the faith. And so, you know, Chris was mentioning the Shield of Ezra. One of the signs that, that this 
interpretation of the the book of Ezra that they're giving is an authentic uh, interpretation is that Ezra will give basically a, uh, a, a special domain power to the clerics within this group. So when the, uh, when the lawful good faction split off, then the founder of the lawful good faction was able to manifest this new shield of Ezra. That's kind of the special cleric power for all of the lawful good Ezra clerics. The lawful evil one could do that. The, law, the true neutral one could do that. And then every other teeny tiny splinter sect out there can't do that. Maybe, maybe one of their members can, but you have to be able to have five followers who can also do it. So that might be what's going on with Frollo. Right. He can manifest the shield of Ezra, but he hasn't been able to get any of his followers to, or he's only been able to get one or two to do it. And so the higher-ups are able to say, well, maybe you've just got some kind of weird illusion thing going on, and that, or you're like a sorcerer doing some weird sorcerer magic, which Frollo would love that, I'm mm. sure. And so, back to town. <laughs> and if I recall correctly, then the fifth sect mm-hmm. is a sign of the apocalypse. Yes. They're like, that is in the sort of book of Ezra, that is a sign of the, the impending apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So Frollo, through the dark powers, is able to manifest some of these signs and is actually sort of able to build an apocalyptic cult mm-hmm. and like take oh, control yeah. sort of Savonarola style. Mm-hmm. Or for a reference, more of our listeners are going to get like the High Sparrow in Game of Thrones. <laughs> that he's able to kind of like... In the movie, it's just Frollo and the faceless guards who you assume obey him because he has authority. Mm -hmm. But this could be a really different, interesting spin on the character that he does have this cult of true believers. Mm -hmm. And maybe even a whole, when we purify the city, we will be able to manifest these signs. When we purify, that's why we can't all manifest these signs yet is not because they're fake from the dark powers, <laughs> but because we're not pure enough and the city isn't pure enough. And didn't you run a campaign where someone claiming to be like the fifth sect? I did. I'm face palming right now because of course Frollo is going to just be eating up with a spoon the fact that he's the only one who's going to be able to use the shield of Ezra. Mm-hmm. Clearly this is so much purer pop- than the vulgar <laughs> <weekly agent. laughs> Those, those CVWLs can't, uh, can't manifest. Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I did, I did run a campaign once. It was, yeah, it was, it was about this fifth sect, and it turned out that it was a demon that was kind of manipulating things. Right. And you, you could, uh, if you want, didn't want it to be the Dark Powers, if you wanted it to be somebody who's an even higher up boss than Frollo's even punch, <laughs> yes. then you could have it be that there is some demon, there are really cool demon cult powers and um Vanderton's Guide to Fiends that you could use. That was what I was I, I read Vanderton's Guide to Fiends and the entire campaign just dropped into my head. But you could do that to kind of be the thing that this higher up boss than Frollo is able to do. So there you go. If you want <laughs> to just run a regular Ravenloft campaign and not a weird dorky Kingdom Hearts Disney campaign, <laughs> you don't want Notre Dame to be its own domain. You could like take one of these like Lev Carest or Damon Lu but you want to have Frollo because he's great, mm-hmm. you could take that thread and have him be this patsy for a bigger, badder thing that's manipulating him to sort of do the plot lunch back of Notre Dame within that city. Or have him be the big bad and have it be the dark powers, mm-hmm. and they're just feeding him more and more power, and he's becoming just more corrupted and more awful, and... Yeah, and your PCs get to take him down, and then he falls into hell being chased by a giant gargoyle, mm-hmm. and it's going to be great. One way, because we're thinking of, like, how do you deal with, like, closing the borders versus, like, other power structures? 
if his thing were like he has this apocalyptic cult, which we do see some of the other people, uh, like the congregation in Notre Dame, and they don't seem great. So mm-hmm. uh, that there is some precedent in the movie for that. But like, if it is this apocalyptic thing, and he's saying we need to rid you know the city of this vermin, and that's how we're going to like prove ourselves and get access to this, it could be that he closes the borders as part of this genocide. And that creates a situation where anyone who tries to break down those borders seems like they're trying to help the travelers escape Mm. because he's trapping them in the city so he can exterminate them. And so it's like, even if you have the power to break in, if people believe in this cult, they're going to naturally associate you with like the quote unquote dark powers helping the travelers if you come and break this perfectly reasonable like all it is is just a checkpoint to make sure that none of them can escape before they're exterminated right (laughs) so you know why would anyone have a problem with that (laughs) you know unless they themselves were under the influence of demonic powers i think that honestly the dark powers corrupted npcs are one of the most underappreciated yes features because that gives you an equivalent domain lord but they're beatable no Mm -hmm. plot armor Mm -hmm. So, like, this version of Frollo, you can just take him down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is also the idea of the pocket domain. I think that that works well if it is a pocket domain that suddenly pops up in the middle mm-hmm. of an existing domain. And then if you beat Frollo, then you are reestablishing the status quo of that domain and another Dark mm-hmm. Lord's torment. So that works really well, too. It's even a nice if it's a pocket domain that's popped up within a pre-existing domain, especially one you have familiarity with. Then you even get your classic, like... I don't like you, but I know you can handle mm. yourself, and I. So I'm gonna send you into this weird religious fanatic island oh, to go take man. this dude down. Yeah. What if up until now Ivana or yeah, Devlin right? had been the big bad of your game, and then they're sending you in after Frollo? Oh yeah. Or you know, what if you're there for another reason? When Frollo essentially like when his power grows enough for this this thing to open up, and so somehow there's a way for the other Dark Lord to like get a message to you through and like Mm, you're the ones who are there and therefore you're the ones who need to take action like you know i'm pretty bad but this is the apocalypse Mm -hmm. you know that's that's what he's bringing with him and so like don't let him become established don't let him become powerful you know this is his kind of his birthing moment of becoming a dark lord just snuff him out right now this is good stuff i want to play this right now yeah right (laughs) all right guys make some characters we're running this So tell us about Elena Faithhold. <laughs> it's in all caps in the script. Oh, Elena Faithhold is in all caps in the script. Really quick before Elena Faithhold, the right. one thing that I think we haven't gotten to with uh, so much Ezra stuff is yeah, also yeah, yeah, in all yeah, caps yeah, yeah, in the yeah, script. And I think we've pretty much said everything I was going to say about that, other than one reason that Frollo works beautifully with the lawful evil sect of the Church of Ezra is that the Church of Ezra is all about protecting people from the legions of night. And lawful evil is very much <laughs> on the side of, well, you know, you can't really kill all the legions of night unless you've killed everyone that you suspect of being remotely connected to the legions of night. And that's just Prolo in a nutshell. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. It's like a very lawful evil mm-hmm, motto. Mm-hmm. No, I, mathematically, you cannot make even one omelet without breaking every egg. <laughs> and that's science. It's well known. Yeah, Elena Faithhold, she is in all caps here, not so much because you can connect her plot-wise the way you can Damon Lou or Borka, but because she works thematically really well with Frollo, and especially with the stuff we've been talking about with the Shield of Ezra. Because with Elena Faithhold, the whole idea with her was that she was a 
fallen paladin who didn't know that she was fallen. And she was the Dark Lord of a domain called Nidala. And back in the like 2e, 3e, etc. days, paladins had to be lawful good. And when she fell, the dark powers were giving her all of her paladin powers. So clearly this was a sign that she was still lawful good. Right. Because if she had fallen, yeah. yeah. If she had fallen, then she wouldn't still have her powers. And they also did, uh, in the older stuff, you couldn't cast Detect Evil in Ravenloft, and that included Paladins, because then, you know, in the old days, Detect Evil just detected the alignment of evil. They fixed it in 5e, but in the old days, it was really easy to just bulldoze through mysteries. Who could the murderer be? (laughs) The one NPC with evil in their (laughs) write-up. So they they very wisely made it that Detect Evil didn't work in Ravenloft, but with Elena Faithhold, she thought that her Detect Evil powers still worked, but it was because the Dark Powers gave her a version of it where she could detect strong emotion toward her, and she interpreted that as evil. So if you hate Elena Faithhold, clearly you're evil and you're going to die. But part of her torment also meant that if you love Elena Faithhold, then you're clearly evil and you're going to die. So... It worked really well for her torment, and it worked really well just thematically for her just falling deeper and deeper into the sense of that she is the only judge of what is and isn't evil in the realm, and that she has to be right because clearly the gods are on her side. And you can you can look into some Elena Faithhold stuff and just steal it lock, stock, and barrel for Frollo. It's nice in Ravenloft you have, in any D&D setting, the weirdness of the sort of objective morality mm-hmm. of your character sheet and the like objective existence of the gods and the objective like well I guess they're okay with what that guy's doing because they're giving him spells and with Ravenloft you have the dark powers sort of the layer between the gods and the people that lets you introduce a lot of ambiguity mm-hmm. that isn't there in like Faerun. Yeah. And then yeah the one other thing getting back to the uh, Traveler Genocide checkpoints if other Ravenloft Grognards are, you know, yeah, picking up their ears at getting that. Getting ready to add us. <laughs> Don't add us, okay? Don't Listen add us, we're on first. it. <laughs> that there was, you know, in the older material, bingo. Like, triple bingo. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've said that so far. Yeah, so this is a good one if that's mm-hmm. on your card. Yeah. <laughs> a lucky day. But in the older material, one of the domains, NVIDIA, there were a lot of anti-Vistani pogroms going on in NVIDIA. That was kind of, by the time we got to 3rd edition, by the time we got to Domains of Dread in 2nd edition, that was like, its whole thing was that there were these massive anti-Vistani pogroms happening. So, if you do want to have the Travelers be the Vistani in your game, then Malokio, who is the political ruler, but not the Dark Lord of NVIDIA, yes, the meta plot got very complicated. It sure did. Also, he is not related to the Dark Lord of Odier, who is Pinocchio, but not named Pinocchio. Yeah, Malokio is his own thing. Anyway, Malokio is going super anti-Vistani, and if you're having the Travelers be Vistani, and Frollo is going super anti-Vistani, then Frollo and Malokio are going to be the very best of friends. This is probably the one with the longest connecting at the old material (laughs) section we've done. And I think that's part of because to circle back to our boring genres far, that because Hunchback of Notre Dame is one of the kind of classic pillars of gothic fiction mm-hmm. and is like a great example of gothic fiction, that little touchstones and little pieces of it 
are all over Ravenloft. Yeah. It's like if there was a Disney movie of Dracula <laughs> and we were all, or like Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> and we were all like, well, how will we connect it to the pre, like there'd be a million ways we could connect it to pre-existing material because this is kind of one of those roots that the whole tree of Ravenloft is sort of drawing nutrients from. Yeah. So those nutrients are all over the place. Yeah. So being one of those iconic gothic pieces of literature, narratives that we see iterated again and again and again in movies and whatever, in weird Rankin and Bass claymation Halloween specials, <laughs> we then get to our sort of final section where we talk about strengths and challenges. And I'll do strengths, and I have It's Great written in. <laughs> uh, it's a very good movie. It has so much to recommend it. There's a reason I think it is so beloved by so many people. It is an adaptation of a classic work of literature, so even if you wanted to ignore a lot of the Disneyification, this is sort of your in on one of these pillars of the Gothic in, like, pop culture. And, like... The movie is so close to being sort of Disney's adult masterpiece of the Renaissance, of being the most complex and mature movie they made in that amazingly fertile creative period. I really do think that Frollo is the best characterized Disney villain in terms mm -hmm. of just the complexity, the psychological insight, the just fascinating, compelling quality of the character that the whole story, as we've spent a very long time discussing in the first part of this episode, is this amazing externalization of Frollo's internal self. The themes are woven through the story so well in so many ways, and this is going to be a very easy thing for you to have your PCs come into that story and engage with those themes and engage with that character and have a cool boss fight with Frollo. We're not only fighting on the realm of the hit point, you're fighting on the realm of the soul. Mm -hmm. And this, especially for PCs that do engage with some of the setting stuff, like someone in, who's a worshiper of Ezra, this is going to be a really powerful fight. Mm -hmm. This is not just going to be a cool fight. This is going to be a fight that has real meaning and weight to it. And this is going to be like a, an adventure that's going to have real meaning and psychological weight. Yeah, Hunch Hunchback is one of the movies that we have had listeners request us for, yeah, yeah. specifically. Like, a listener came at us on Twitter and was like, please tell us they're doing Hunchback. So, was, we, you're we welcome. Yes, we were in the process of outlining it, so <laughs> here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just seems to me like the ideal thing for this project, and whether for Disney or for Ravenloft, like, it has a great pair of strengths in having such monstrous evil and yet meaningful, interesting, non-trivial choices about what you're supposed to do about it. Mm -hmm. um, that is like, you want both of those things and oftentimes it could be hard to get them to fit in the same story together. Um, you know, that you can reach a level of evil where the player characters feel like, well, like what are we sitting around talking about? Like mm -hmm. clearly, you know, there's only one option here. Here, I think the complications help with that so much that, yeah, as you were saying, Tom, like the fact that this is a personal story, you can throw the characters into it and really make them make some hard choices about where they stand at the same time that you can really get that hit of like, this is a repugnant person. Like we can really dig into hating Frollo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it also, because as I said, it's Disney's most adult villain mm -hmm. that lends itself to some challenges. Rachel, challenges. 
Well, there's nothing here that you can't overcome by throwing some goofy gargoyles at. Absolutely, so yeah. No, that's that's, yeah. that's the solution. <laughs> that's how to make it a four quadrant movie. <laughs> but no, gargoyles aside, yeah, this is really intense. This you gotta session zero the heck out of this. Jeez, you like, do. This, I think, like, this is the first one since Encanto, where I say you cannot even engage with the premise of this movie without Session Zeroing the heck out of it with your players. Yeah, there are some groups that, like, really can't do any version of this. Mm-hmm. There are because... other groups who are going to eat it up with a spoon. Yeah, it's going to be There's their best game ever. Who, yeah, like we were saying with Encanto, there are, you know, for you guys, I would run this in a heartbeat. But for some other groups I have GM'd, it would not fly. Too spicy. Yeah. And then everything is so centered on Frollo and his interiority. There's kind of limited space to do other things. There is always the issue with Ravenloft that the Dark Lords can kind of be the protagonists, that they have the plot armor, they're such strong personalities. I've mentioned multiple times, a lot of times I don't even like to bring the Dark Lords into my games because they just eat up too much of the oxygen. And it's really difficult to do this without bringing Frollo in mm-hmm. and having him eat up all the oxygen, like fire, hellfire. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tricky. Like, you have to, to do this domain justice, engage with Frollo, and that is a very spicy chili. Like, that is, mm-hmm. that is not, there's, as we said, many groups where engaging with Frollo is going to not be fun for them for some of the people in that group, or maybe for anyone in that group. So that is a challenge. Genocidal, racist, ableist, emotionally abusive, spiritually abusive, physically abusive predator. Ta-da! <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth really checking in and thinking through how Frollo in particular is going to relate to the group, because he's the kind of character in another context who might even be cathartic and fun for mm-hmm. certain players to face, but in this context where the story only works if you engineer it so that for at least some of the time, you have to be victimized, at least in mm-hmm. the sten- mm-hmm. in the sense that you have to be like Phoebus and not immediately jump him. Like, <laughs> oh, it's, you know, I uh, apparently on the encounter table, I rolled, you know, 1d4 hypocrites. Unfortunately, I only got one. So let's just jump him while he's alone. It's not <laughs> like that. You have to knuckle under. You're right. Like his thing, his power has to work on you. You have to be forced at least to the extent that you have to be smart about attacking him, you know, mm-hmm. having to be in that position of here's this guy and you have to act like he's right. That is a whole mm-hmm. different thing. And I think the same character who might love to fight him, the same player who might love to fight him would hate being put in a position where it's like, I'm letting the group down and ruining the social event by not playing out submission to this guy. That's yeah. Like this, that's not every group, but I would be very careful about checking in about mm-hmm. that. And if possible, do something to like rig the player character's relationship to him not for any particular purpose but just to fine-tune it to what your players are gonna want so like if you need to be if they need to be sent in as like some kind of auditor to see like they're from the church and they have to find out what this rogue judge is doing maybe that's where they would be comfortable engaging it from but it, i think it is specific to the group mm-hmm. So before we rejoin our narrator and find out where she's going next, we are going to... Real quick, where our narrator is going next, we know it's not a Disney movie. Don't doubt us. It's April. It's the spirit of April Fool's Day. The spirit of the Feast of Fools. (laughs) Misrule reigns and all conventions are overturned. Let's talk about where Chris, if they've enjoyed your very creative (laughs) suggestions of genres of horror... 
and insightful comments on Frollo and on playing uh, interactions with him, what are some other places they could find your work, other things you've done they could track down? You, you quit Twitter before it was cool. Yeah, so right. uh, where, where can they find you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no longer on Twitter, but you can find... I'm not, I'm not doing any podcasts right now. That may change in the future, but uh, who knows when this comes out? Who knows what will be going on? But right now, if you want to check out my work, that's going to be best done in three ways. One of them is the old gameable family of podcasts, Gameable Disney, Gameable Pixar, and Gameable Saturday Morning. That was a whole series of podcasts that I did about Saturday morning cartoons, Disney movies, and Pixar movies uh, that cover a lot of the same material uh, that this show does. Um, and I think people who enjoy this show will probably enjoy that as well. Um, Gameable's been over for a long time, but there's a ton to listen to. Also, the podcast that I went to after that was Mega Dumbcast, which is, it may come back, but uh, right now I'm not making Mega Dumbcast, but you can find it wherever podcasts are found in little daily chunks that were released in little short episodes. You can also find the episodes compiled for easy binging on the Mega Dumbcast Patreon, which is like $1 a month. And right now I'm suspending the payment every month because no new stuff is coming out, except on months when I forget to do that. Um, so, you know, take your, you're, you're betting $1 a month. I mean, I noticed my Patreon bill was always higher this past month. I was like, wait, it, you know, like, look, it, it, you, you just, you take your chances. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, if you get on the Patreon, you'll have like, yeah, there are like, what, five seasons of Mega Dumbcast. It was a podcast that came out daily over five seasons. You can find all the compilations of those episodes, as well as another podcast miniseries uh, that is so filthy, I cannot say the name of it on this podcast. <laughs> but I think you'll enjoy that one as well. Possibly not around your kids, though. No, um, I no. would say so. It is, however, my favorite podcast of all time, which will tell you something about me. So... <laughs> Thank you. It's about vampires and how yummy they are. So... <laughs> That's right. It's about it's about how much how much we love to love vampires. All right, I figured out how to pitch this in a way that can be overheard with little people in the room. Because seriously, all this is my favorite podcast of all time. I want to I want to share its glory with all of you. So there is a game. The uh, PG-rated version of it is Merry Party With or Kill. And this podcast is Merry Party With or Slay. And in each episode, Chris and his co-host Claire look at one of the 13 clans from Vampire the Masquerade and discuss how much they would like to marry, party with, and or kill a member of each of those clans. They also write a dream date where they come up with the most appealing version of a member of these clans that they can and present a little bit of flash fiction to you about this yummy vampire. They managed to pull it off for the Sumishi. It was really something. Also, after they got through the 13 main clans, Chris started spinning off and doing episodes about some of the different vampire bloodlines. And instead of doing those with Claire, he did those with a rotating cast of guest hosts. And I got to be a guest host on three of those. So if you want to find out what bloodline makes me make the face that Esmeralda always makes at Frollo, and what bloodline makes me make the face that Nala made at Simba during Can You Feel the Love Tonight, go check those out. I really cannot say enough wonderful things about this podcast. I've hinted a couple times that I am an unapologetic reader of romance, and a big part of that honestly was from listening to Mary Party with her sleigh, because it let me filter some of those, like, 
paranormal romance impulses through Vampire the Masquerade, and I was able to admit that, you know what, sometimes I just want a yummy romance with a dangerous yet attractive vampire, and you know what? I can be like other girls. It's fine. So, it's a goofy lark of a yummy vampire podcast, but I cannot overstate how much it's meant to me. It's well worth your $1 a month on the Mega Dumbcast Patreon. Go check it out. And if you love to love vampires or anything else, then you may want to check me out from time to time, commenting upon the lovability of lots and lots of different creatures on the <laughs> aforementioned Hard Choices podcast, which is uh, where I, I find that most of my stuff is coming out right now while I'm sort of between podcasts of my own. So yeah, I think that is, I think that's it. So if you enjoyed how we talked about creating this very searing psychological horror <laughs> for an adult group for this uh, movie, this children's singing gargoyle movie, <laughs> then... I have a couple of DMs Guild works up adapting horror movies for into 5e adventures. I'm pretty proud of them. If you enjoyed our very carefully talking about all the issues of this with other groups, we also have some resources for running spooky horror themed stuff for children that are also really good and also on DMs Guild if you just search for Tom Kohler or go to the write up you're hopefully looking at to get our cool. Paris plot hooks and look at the other things by this author. And then if you're caring about all of these things that you can't listen to with your kids in the room is saying, but what can I do with my kids in the room? I have a children's book. Mm. Even though I'm very into the yumminess of vampires, I do have a children's book. Um, it's called Mother Ghost Nursery Rhymes for Little Monsters. It's exactly what it sounds mm -hmm. like. 13 nursery rhymes are written to be about Halloween. It's really good. <laughs> and I also do have some short stories for adults. You can find those on my website, www.rachelkohler.com. Speaking of places to find us online... If you want to contact us about Hunchback of Notre Dame or Frollo and how much you want to kick him in the teeth, mm -hmm. or if you want to say, hey, Rachel, please tell me even more about the Church of Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> She's not done. Then you can email us at wonderfulworldofdarklords at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr at wonderfulworldofdarklords. We are no longer on Twitter at the moment, although future Rachel might come in and say, actually, by now, Twitter has been purchased by Pope Francis. Who even knows? <laughs> so. <laughs> well, we were all surprised when Twitter was nationalized by the Belarusian government, but here we are. But as of this recording, Facebook, Tumblr, Gmail, not Twitter. Chris, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. This was really fun. <laughs> And uh, we've mentioned, listeners, that we see this podcast as sort of a spiritual successor to Gameable. It is one of our favorite podcasts. We cannot recommend loved, it highly enough. Cannot recommend it highly enough. It's kind of like what we're doing, but not as bizarrely niche <laughs> for your gaming Disney needs. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is just a, a delight. It was really fun to go back to some of the kind of material that I talked about in Gameable. I miss doing that show, and this was uh, a little taste of that. So, um yeah, yeah, thank you. And thank you, dear listener, for listening, and happy gaming. Parting thoughts. Despite the beauty and serenity of the cathedral, Notre Dame is anything but peaceful, and Frollo seems unable to change that no matter how hard he tightens his iron grip. I was glad to leave the city behind me. I traveled through the mists for some time, holding my mist talisman, but my mind kept returning to that vision in the flames. I believe this to be the lingering effect of an enchantment, but I'm certain my patron will blame hysterics. 
Perhaps the borders of my destination were closed and no level of focus would have helped me. Whatever the case, when I emerged from the mists, I thought at first that I had returned to Halloween Town's nightmarish parody of the carnival, for I was surrounded by painted wagons and cages. They lacked the macabre decorations of the Halloween Town wagons, however, and were far more faded and threadbare. Painted upon the lead wagon were the words, Mommy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival, Creatures of Night, Brought to Light. Regards, D. One wonders if the Viceroy chooses to stay within his palace of justice out of disdain for the rabble, or more from his own fear of them. How infuriating it must be for one who craves order above all else to live in uncertainty of the populace intent to their own person. The people of Notre Dame are likely to see Frollo burnt at the stake one day, and raise him on high another. My initial inclination upon reading of your experience at the Palace of Justice was not to blame your hysterics. Oh, given past correspondences with my little servant, I have not dismissed the theory entirely. Undoubtedly, my servant has recognized certain patterns in these lands, and if not, it is time she was educated in the matter. When a dreadlord is tied strongly to a place, it tends to develop an effect not unlike an enchantment radiating the lord's own ideals. Scholars often refer to such places as sinkholes of evil, though I am uncertain if my servant's unease was due to the presence of such a place, or of her naturally opposed view to Frollo's strict adherence to order. This has been The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. We have no affiliation with Disney or Wizards of the Coast. All music recordings used in this episode are in the public domain and were obtained through MuseOpen.org. Titles and links are in the show notes. Dialogue for Yensid was written by Azalyn Rex himself, who you can follow on Tumblr at DarkLordAzalyn. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords logo was designed by Haylight Jones. You can find links to their work in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, look for us on Patreon.com or find our tip jar on Red Circle. Thanks for listening! Making my will safe and not going on a five-minute tangent. Yes. <laughs> Sinkholes <laughs> of evil! Talk about that later. Talk about that in another episode that's not already three hours long. <laughs> <laughs>